0: So, if you were expecting Pastor Dan today i 'm just a much older version <laughs> but I will say because this isn't being recorded as far as I know, aren't you glad you have a pastor that preaches a word like Pastor Dan does? you know i mean um, it's to me it's it's crucial, and we're moving towards retiring as uh, in our position as district reps we 're not retiring from the ministry because That's impossible, right? I mean, all of us as believers are serving the Lord in some way or the other. But uh, one of the things that's been hard to watch is how difficult it is to find schools that train people to preach God's Word anymore, to exposit the Word of God, and to to actually say, thus saith the Lord, and, and you're reading it going, oh, actually, he did say that, instead of... Somebody saying, Lord, that they give you their own thoughts or their own opinion, and hopefully you will get God's opinion today, and we prayed before the service that, or I guess during the service, that you would forget what I had to say, remember what the Lord has to say. Let's pray. Lord, we would just commit this time to you. We thank you that you are the sovereign God in control of everything. We thank you that we can come to you with everything, and Lord, we have been singing about your great faithfulness. You have, we have said we want you to be Lord, and yet we must ask ourselves, is that true? Do we live that way? So I just pray now, Lord, you'd take your word, use me as your instrument this morning. I pray that I would accomplish your purpose and not mine. And we thank you, Lord, for what you will accomplish in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter three. In God's word, one of the things that stands out to me is that God deals with the brokenhearted. Now, for some of you, that may have been something that drew you to the Lord in the first place, when you came to a point of despair in your own life, going, oh, "What? What am I going to do with this?" And you realize that only God could do that, but He certainly does, and and. and Few in Scripture picture this better than uh, King David. Um, I'm right now working through the Psalms, and uh, one of the things I'm doing is is basically outlining each Psalm, giving a title to it, and and, and capturing and writing down the things that that, uh, the Holy Spirit of God is using in my life. And and David is really the king in that regard. He deals with uh, brokenness. And, and if you look at David, if you read through First and Second Samuel, you'll see he had a life of hardship, um, he had a life of pain and brokenness. He had a life of many blessings, though, right? And you see that in his life, and, and you can understand how he says in, in Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The word crushed means to be ground to powder, and have you ever been that way in your life, where, whether it's for health reasons, a spiritual battle you're going through, where you feel like you've been ground to powder and all you need is a little breeze, and you're just going to be blown to pieces. And, and that's the wording David uses, and so we're looking this morning at the only one that can heal the withered heart. And I, I want to start, we'll, we'll look at Mark chapter 3. And I'll read the first six verses. And he entered again into the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, in order that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, rise and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out immediately, began taking counsel with Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. The first point is withered. You know, and Some of you grabbed the outline, withered. He, he comes to synagogue, he enters the synagogue, and there's a man with the withered hand. And we might start thinking, oh, that, that, that's the point of the passage. It's not the point of the passage. You know, the, the guy happened to be there by God's sovereign appointment. Okay? Not, not the main point. And, and there's no break. So often as you're reading through Scripture, and I know you, this is the first time you've heard this, most likely, the, the chapter breaks were put in there for our help in personal study. But they're not in there originally; they're just a continuous flow. And so, if you if you look back to chapter two twenty three, you can kind of pick up a little bit of the context of what's going on here. Mark two twenty three says. Um, and it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, when somebody says something to you like God has said, do you just take their word for it? You kind of like a chapter and verse within the context of Scripture, right? But the Pharisees make this statement, and the Pharisees are not speaking of God's law here. And Jesus confronts them, and it would be helpful for you to study this passage of Scripture. We're not in it today. It's just for introduction. But Jesus ends the section in verse 27 and 28, and he says, Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now, two quick thoughts here. The, the, the first thought is, um, the Sabbath is meant for the benefit of man, not the penalty of man. Uh, it was to produce rest and restoration, not restlessness. And the religious leaders of the day, the religious requirements from the Pharisees of the day had made this the most restless day of the week because there were so many extra rules that they had to, oh man, you know, did I, did I put the food, you know, did I do all these things I was supposed to do ahead of time? The second thing is, the one who established the Sabbath is standing right in front of them, right? So it'd be, be kind of like, you know, the guy... In the Jonestown flood, you know he 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 survived three the two first two Jonestown floods and he died in the third one and he said he, he went he got to heaven and he said it's testimony time in heaven he goes great I want to tell about how I survived the first two Jonestown floods but I, but I know I died in the third one and the and, and the guy Peter said well you you that's okay but you should know Noah's here you know it's like <laughs> you, you want to compare floods here so here you have here you have the one who established the Sabbath the Lord. Of the Sabbath in front of you, and you're trying to give him what the Sabbath rules are. In verse 1, again in chapter 3, he entered into the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Why? So they could say, oh, praise God. Look at, here's Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath is on the scene. As one Bible teacher pointed out, Jesus was not only the Lord of the Sabbath in the General sense, he was the Lord of that particular Sabbath that day. And he's the Lord of this day, too. He's the Lord of every event that would take place in your day today and tomorrow and the day after that. He is Lord. And and the the sooner we come to the point in our lives where we surrender to that, it's so much better, so much easier to live. So, and he's Lord of weather. That man's going to be healed on the Sabbath. Withered, again, means, it means dried up. It means unusable. It would be appropriate to think of this man's hand as shriveled up. So that makes it significant when the Lord says, stretch out your hand. That man hasn't been able to stretch out his hand for we don't know how long. And even for him, it seems like an odd thing, I'm sure, but he does. The focal point of the scene in this passage, interesting enough, is not the man with the withered hand, and it is not the Sabbath, And certainly from the standpoint of the Pharisees, the focal point is the synagogue and the Sabbath and their man-made rules, but Jesus, we will see, looks deeper. He doesn't ignore the withered hand, but the biggest problem that day in the synagogue was not this man's withered hand, but it was the withered, hard hearts of the Pharisees. And that, my friend, may be the biggest battle that you're dealing with today. It it may be your heart and where it's at. And if so, I just have to say to you, no, I wasn't planning on, I got a phone call from, I got a text message from Dan, because he doesn't really call, he text messages me. Are you in the county? (laughs) I text back and said, I am underneath my VW bus changing the oil. What's up? He said, I'm ill. Can you preach tomorrow? God did that on purpose, right? Maybe with one of you. I I don't think he's just picking on me alone, okay? (laughs) It might be good for you to ask or to write down in your outline next to withered, are there areas of my heart that are withered, or heart or hard before the Lord. Think about it: Is your heart hard or withered before the Lord? If so, in what ways? And, and, and that's reflection for later on. As you can see in your outlines, there's a backside that's called "Digging Deeper." That's just for you to take home if you have time and just kind of work through some, you know, dig deeper into Scripture. You know, don't just not just the message on Sunday morning, but hopefully you do that anyway. So, if you do. You can save that for some day when you can't think of what to read. So watching is point number two. I, I want you to know there's different ways to watch people. For example, you can watch for success uh, looking for signs of improvement, or you can watch for failure looking for signs of collapse. It's kind of like the news today, right? <laughs> I mean, It doesn't, really doesn't matter what source you go to for your news. Are they looking for success or failure? Failure sells news. <laughs> you know, success, unfortunately, doesn't. I mean, that's why we love it whenever once in we hear a personal interest story that's actually about somebody succeeding in something good. You know, it's like, wow. You can, for example, watch for the glory of God to be revealed, or you can focus on the failure of man. Verses 2 through 4 reveal what the Pharisees were looking for. It it, it begins by saying, and they were watching him. This is no passing glance. The Greek word for watching has the idea of, of keeping something under close observation. They're watching, and we know what they're watching for. Will he get out of line with any of their rules or their laws at all? And they were watching, it says, to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. In order that they might do what? They might accuse him. Now, do you think the man with the withered hand was watching for that reason? Oh yeah, if he heals me, I'm am I'm just gonna shout right out. Yeah, <laughs> Look at, this is a Sabbath. You know, the, were the Pharisees watching for failure or success? They're looking for failure, right? They're looking for failure. How's the view from where you're at? What are you looking for in the lives of other people? What are you looking for in the lives of your spouse? What are you looking for in the lives of your children, your co-worker, your neighbor? One of the signs of a hard heart in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ is when they stop looking for the glory of God. I know you've never been guilty of that, but good grief. Sometimes I'm just looking in the wrong direction. Father, please forgive me. I've stopped looking for your glory. And instead, I've made the failure of man my focus. We get caught up in that as believers, don't we? I think some of the most smart people in the world on Facebook are believers in Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking, well, they must not be thinking about witnessing to anybody anytime near that's on their Facebook, the things that they're saying. I've shared before, and some of you will be familiar with, in our first ministry there was a guy named Leo Miller, who was just really, I still think, is the worst man I ever met. He was mean, rude, just, you know. And I was the new pastor in the community. He hated me. He hated Christianity. I think he really hated everybody. And uh, so he would, it was like he would... Figure ways to make fun of me whenever we were moving cattle, or I was helping, trying to be a pastor in that community, and he was mocking me all the time, saying crude things about me, you know, getting the other guys to awkwardly chuckle, you know, and I wasn't really laughing, you know, it hurt. And then Leo came down with uh, throat cancer; it was in the hospital, and God said to me, He didn't actually; I didn't hear a voice, but I knew, "You get down to the hospital and visit Leo." And I told God ahead of time, it won't work, Lord, because I'm looking at the failure of man, right? It won't work. If I go down there, it isn't going to work. He'll, he'll just he'll make fun of me. He's going to hurt my feelings, Lord. <laughs> I got in my 63 bug. I drove down to Fort Collins to Kashlaputra Hospital. I walked in the room. His family was in there, and instantly he began to make fun of me and mock me in front of his family. I, the only thing I could do before I left was pray with him, and that was very difficult. And I went home, and on the way home, I said, See, God, I told you ahead of time how this was going to go, and you didn't listen to me. Have you ever talked to God that way? <laughs> we are not to look for evil people to succeed in evil plans but we must look for and pray for God to succeed in changing their hearts and bringing them to himself and giving himself glory. And God really let me know that day. This really isn't about you, Mark. Well, that kind of hurts, isn't it? Because we think everything is about us, you know? So, uh, a week went by, I think it was, and I I received a phone call and it, and the phone call was Leo can't talk anymore. The Throat cancer's got so bad that he can't talk. And I, I said, thank you for letting me know. I probably said a quick, you know, God bless Leo type of prayer, you know. And, and guess what God said? Go down there and visit him. And guess what I said? Worse than Jonah, you know. Lord, you know how this went last time. His family's probably there, you know. And so so I get in my car. I drove down there. I go into the hospital, and I, I, I said to the Lord, or I said to myself on the way there, I'm going to get right to the gospel right away before anybody can interrupt me. So I literally walked in the hospital room, and I said, I'm going to share with Leo the gospel, how they can, he, he can be saved. I'm just as rude as can be. You can either stay or you can leave. It doesn't really matter to me, but that's what I'm here to do. And actually, several of them left. I don't blame them, you know? It's like... <laughs> Not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your lifetime. (laughs) I shared the gospel with Leo. He can't argue with me. Ask him, wouldn't you like to pray and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he nodded his head. Didn't see that one coming. So I prayed with him, you know, the gospel message and said, Lord, I know you can't talk out loud, Leo, this is really between you and the Lord, and after I was done praying, I looked down, and he is crying, didn't see that one coming either, and then I said to him as I was leaving, with a great heart of compassion, you know, Leo, prayer can't save anybody, only if you really put your faith and trust in Christ, that's the only way, if you trust in his work on the cross alone, his death, his burial, and resurrection, that's the only way salvation happens, see you later. Two days later, maybe three, I got a phone call. Hey, Leo called me. Leo, Leo can't call. You can't talk. No, he called me. He called me and asked me to forgive him for the way I've, he's treated me over my life. You know, Leo got on the phone from the hospital there and called a whole bunch of people. Everybody. <laughs> but me, he never called me up. It was the evidence of a changed heart, something Leo had never done. So, next time you're watching the world and you've made a decision, say to God, help me help me see your glory, Lord. Help me see your glory. Verse 3, and he said to the man with withered hand, rise and come forward. And he said to them, so he's talking to the Pharisees, is it lawful to... It's a law on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life, to kill it, but they kept silent. Now, if he would ask the man with the withered hand that what he, what he had said, I don't know the law, but man, if you're willing to heal me. But he doesn't. And one more thing you should know, these Sabbath robbers had come up with so many man-made laws, they actually had a law that, that did not allow a doctor to save a life on the Sabbath. They were told, the doctors were told, You can keep them comfortable, but you can do nothing to save their life because that would be work. That's messing the Sabbath up a lot. Do you want restlessness or rest? Number three, let's look at the response. The Lord's response at silence is the Pharisees' wrathful, is the word. Verse 5 says, and after looking around at them with anger, it it should be important to know that The Greek word anger here is the word orge, and it means wrath. This is the only time this word is ever used with Jesus Christ. The only time. The other word for anger that we usually see is a word that means to be irritated or agitated. But wrath is a little beyond that, and it's used. Now, obviously, were there any other times when Jesus had wrath, had real anger? Yes, he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry. We know there are other times... But this was the only time it's described of him, of him, the word angry in that way is used of the Lord Jesus. Because they were producing restlessness and not rest. Question What, produces, what produced this anger in the Lord? Well, you know where to find the answer to that question, right? The Bible. So let's read on under woeful, verse number four. Woeful, you could put the word grieved next to it. After looking around at them, verse five, with anger, grieved at, their hardness, at the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Why was the Lord angry? Was he angry, was he angry because this man's hand was withered? Well, I'm sure it troubled him to see the result of the curse of sin. Does that ever trouble you? Certainly it does. But that was not the source of anger. No, he was angry. He was not angry at the withered hand. He was angry at the withered hearts of the Pharisees. The book of Romans speaks of this, and, and you can read this on yourself. We would run out of time, but Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23 and 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 following talks about the the wrath of God being poured out and why it's being poured out. And the man of exchanged the truth of God for a lie, just some summaries. What does a hard heart do? It, it, it purposely exchanges the truth for a lie. Do we see that today in the world we live in? All the time. It fails to see man's need. That's what a hard heart does. It fails to see God's glory. It fails to see God's miracles. It fails to see God's Son. It fails to see the needs of others. And it grieves the heart of the Lord because it it trades the Creator's design for the creature's desire. When we go to God in prayer, it's really not about us, even though it may greatly affect us. It's about what would bring glory and honor to the Lord. The hardness of heart doesn't stop the Lord of glory. It doesn't prevent the Lord of the Sabbath from healing. But it sure can keep us from seeing the glory. And it certainly robs us of the rest that he wants to provide. Does your faith system produce rest or restlessness? I'm talking about as a believer in Jesus Christ today. Does the faith system that you're holding to produce rest or restlessness? Restlessness. Some faith systems claim that, it, it, that it's all about Jesus Christ's death, his burial, and resurrection, but, but we have to really hold on. We have to really be careful, and it, it doesn't produce that. Does it talk about, does it, does it increase and honor the sovereignty of God? Or does it just look at the responsibility of man? Rest or restlessness. It's been said if you take wax and you melt it, and you let it harden, and you melt it again, and you let it harden, that eventually that wax will get so hard that no heat that we, source that we know of on planet Earth could, could melt it because it just gets harder each time. And, and you can, you ever think the heart like that? Have you ever had somebody in your family that have hardened their hearts from, against the Lord so many times, and you ask yourself, who could penetrate such a hard heart? Well, the same one who said, stretch out your hand. Would you stretch out your heart before the Lord? Well, how do the Pharisees react? Well, they certainly do not praise God, do they? Brings us to wrongful, point number five. And the Pharisees went out immediately and began to take counsel with Herodians against him as how they might destroy him. Took counsel with Herodians. Uh, The Herodians, they hated the Herodians. They were as bad as tax collectors. They worked for Herod. They weren't weren't the great religious leaders. They were traitors to the nation of Israel. It's gotten so bad that they're willing to work with the traitors of the nation of Israel to try to get Jesus trapped somehow. So they go from debating Jesus about the Sabbath and their rules to teaming up with the Herodians who didn't even care about the Sabbath. In messing with the Lord of the Sabbath, they ended up missing the Lord of glory and of peace and of rest and a Sabbath altogether. How sad. And you have people like that in your life, right? They're just missing the most vital point. My, the question is, this a, is this passage a warning for us as believers? I think there is warning for us. Is your heart hard before the Lord? My, my burden is twofold. First, maybe you've listened to the gospel message many times here at Pacific Coast Bible Church and other places, but you never really trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Billy Graham used to love to quote Second Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. Uh, we work together with him. We urge you to receive, not to receive the grace and Of God in vain for he says that the acceptable time I listened to you and the day of salvation I helped you behold now is the acceptable time now is the day of salvation that may be true for some of you listening this may be the day that you put your faith and trust in Christ and trust him as Lord and Savior second maybe you're a believer and you're considering walking away from the Lord you want to do things your own way I certainly battle with those areas Or to me more direct, are there areas of your heart that are hardened before the Lord? I can't make a list for you. I have my own list. I've been a pastor for over 41 years, and I've seen far too many many people, whether they're professing Christians or believers, walk away from the Lord, from the glory that he would have in their life, from the peace that he would love to give to them. I've been a believer for over 50 years, and I've seen far too many times in my own heart when it's been hard. I will tell you, God knows how to soften my heart. It's so much easier to do it in obedient surrender. I'm tired of people seeing people try to reconstruct their faith. Um, <laughs> it's useless. It results in faithlessness. God is the only one that constructs our faith, and he begins with the total demolition of who we are. And what we are trusting in, you cannot reconstruct only what God can build. I pray for my grandchildren every day. God, I pray that you would give them the gift of faith, and they would respond in faithful living to you as the Holy Spirit works in their life. Waiting, number six. God's word says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 8 through 10. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, this is Paul writing, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow. Though only for a while, I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, That you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. You were made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Is there sorrow in your heart today? Is there ever a time when you read the Word of God and it just produces sorrow and... And and sometimes it's just it's personal sorrow. It's Lord, Lord, I I confess my sin to you. Please restore my desire to see your glory in life. It's it's First John one nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We turn to the one who is waiting for us, as King David did. Turn, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Just to give you a little background, I'm going to read some verses of Scripture as we move towards closing things down. King David, some of you will know the story, King David had uh, decided he wanted to build a house for God. You know, he's, he's living in a really nice place, and he thinks it's just wrong that God would not live in a nice place, too, a nicer place than him. And And I think he was genuine in heart in in wanting that. And uh, so he, he, he he wants to build a house for the Lord. And what does God say to David? No. How do you like hearing no from God? Personally, I'm not really thrilled about that, you know. God says, no, David, you won't build a house for me, but I will build a house for you. Now, ultimately, this leads to the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But I love David's response. 2 Samuel chapter 7, look at verse 18. 2 Samuel 7, 18. And then David the king went in and sat before the Lord. This is after he was told no. That's probably what we should do when God tells us no. Just go sit before the Lord. He sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes. O Lord God, for you have spoken also of a house of your servant concerning the distant future. And as is the custom of man, O Lord God, Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. For the sake of your word, according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness. Let your servant know, for there is, for this reason you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you. Look it down at verse 24. For you have established yourself and your people Israel, your own people forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord... The word that you've spoken concerning your servant in his house, confirm it forever. Do as you have spoken, that your name may be glorified forever. Spurgeon wrote this under the title, Do as thou hast spoken. God's promises were never meant to be thrown aside as waste paper. He intended that they should be used. God's gold is not miser money, but it is meant to be traded with. Nothing pleases our Lord better than to see his promises put into circulation. How many promises of God are you just kind of... Spend them. He goes on. He longs to see his children bring them up to him and say, Lord, do as thou hast said. We glorify God when we plead his promises. Do you think that the Lord God would be any poorer for giving you the riches he has promised? No. Do you think, do you dream that he would be any less holy if he gives his holiness to you? Do you imagine he'll be any less pure for washing you from your sins? He has said, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Faith lays holds of the promises of pardon and does not delay. This is a precious promise. I, I wonder if it is true. But it goes straight to the throne with it and it pleads, Lord, here is your promise. Do as thou hast said. Our heavenly banker delights to cash his own notes that's like it is finished right paid in full and that check was cashed at the resurrection of christ our heavenly father delights to cash his own notes never let the promise rust never let the word of promise out of this no do, draw the word of promise out of the scabra and use it with holy violence think not that god will be troubled by your importunity. Reminding him of his promises, he loves to hear the outcry of needy souls. He delights to bestow his favor. He is more ready to hear than you are to ask. The sun is not weary of shining, nor the fountain of flowing. It is in God's nature to keep his promise. Therefore, go at once to the throne and say to God, Do as thou hast said." Seven, will you respond? Will you respond? I mean, you know, really, I mean, this isn't just fellowship time. That comes after this, I think. We come here to hear from word. We come to hear, thus saith the Lord, and to say, okay, Lord, do what you've said. It's going to hurt for a little while because of where I'm at. But do as you have said. Do of you as you have promised. Will you respond? You know, the worst message ever is bad because people aren't listening to what God has to say and refuse to respond. Don't let that be true of you. Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts so very well, you see every withered portion. You know those areas in which we are resisting you on. You know those areas that are hard before you.